Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Well, if you'll excuse us, I'd like to have my friends meet some of the other members. Yeah, that's what we're here for, to have a little look-see. Please, <laughs> gentlemen. Oh, fellas, I, I, I hate to break up this golf lesson, but I'd like to have you meet some friends of mine. Barney Fife, this is Cliff Britton, uh, Tom Wilson, uh, Barney, Tom. and Jim Baker. Hi, Jim. Barney. This is Andy Taylor, Cliff Britton, Britton. Tom Wilson, Wilson. Andy. and Jim Baker. Hi, Baker, how are you? <laughs> oh, golf, huh? Yeah. What do you shoot, Tom? Oh, low 80s. Oh, that's not too bad. How about you, Jim? 95, 96. And he's teaching you how to play? Well, you ought to be taking lessons from him. Then you'd be shooting up in the 90s, maybe. Well, uh, look, before dinner, I'd like to show you fellas the club trophy room. Yeah. Next to hunting, there's nothing I like better than a good game of golf out on the links. This is good, Roger. What is this? It's baked Alaska. I don't believe I've ever heard of it. Uh, sure you have, Andy. Uh, you just forgot that, that that's baked Alaska. It's that new dessert that come out since it's become a state. <laughs> Ever walk into a situation where you realize I'm in the wrong place? Uh, I remember walking in on a home interiors party one time. And a Tupperware party. And a shower, wedding shower. Places where uh, <clears throat> I wanted to navigate my way out as quick as I navigated my way in. Uh, and, and we, we get ourselves in those situations sometimes. And um, there's just not an easy way to say as believers, if we don't feel like foreigners here, strangers here, there's something wrong with our walk. Because we need to feel like in this place, in, in this finite place, we should, there should be a sense in our hearts that, of unsettledness, of... Um, I'm just a square peg in a round hole. I'm just not fitting in here. There should be that sense of, of angst, I guess, in us. And, and if there's not that, I want to challenge you today that, to stay with us in, as we walk through this series of foreigners because we're going to be in the, in, in the books of First and Second Peter for the next several weeks. But um, thematically, uh, he deals with a lot of things, but he deals with this idea primarily of, of our being otherworldly as we walk through this place, our, our, being, our citizenship being someplace else, our identity being someplace else, tied to him and not tied to this place. Yet, here we are trying to navigate an unholy place and certainly in our world, unholy times. And so we find ourselves at a struggle to, to, to be relevant, to fit in, to, 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 to be, be thought of as not, not, not just equal, but to be thought of as... as, as um, having value, that we have some value to add to our world, and we do, but we have to get over the intimidation of, of being feeling like foreigners to do that. First Peter chapter 1 is where we are. Let's, let's look at verses 1 to 12, and we want to talk today around this idea of, of hope that we have as foreigners. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father, God the Father, 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor with Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. A lot, of, a lot of meat here that I want to slice and dice for you today if I can. There's hope in this, and I want us to see four things from it, this text. The first of which is this. There is hope in the plans of God. There's hope in the plans of God. Look at one and two with me. It says, To God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the, watch this, foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. These plans, he said, were born before the foundations of the world. He uses the term here, God's elect, in, in, in verse 1, and the term chosen in verse 2. Now, many will look at this, this idea of election and, and, and are being chosen in different forms. Some, some believe that, he, that God is referring to, or Peter is referring to the Jews as the elect here. Others believe that he's referring to all believers as the elect, those who have chosen to follow Christ. Uh, e either way, what I want us to see here is I'm going to give you uh, Tim Parker's definition of pre predestination and that and about seven bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. The predestination, when you think of predestination in terms of, of the New Testament scripture, it's my belief that predestination has to deal with the plans of God over the peoples of God. The pre what God predestined and predetermined before creation was that the plan of redemption for man would begin in the garden move to the Jew through, through Abraham, go through the Jewish nation, through the prophets, into the New Testament. Jesus would come to redeem what the law could not redeem. Then the message, as we see in the New Testament, goes from the Jews to the Gentiles, through the Apostle Paul and the Apostles, the rest of the Apostles, and then filters down to us here in the, in the grace age, in the, in, in the church age. But that plan of redemption was predestined before creation so that 
does God know who's going to, who's going to pray to receive him as Savior or not? Absolutely he does. We looked a couple of weeks ago at how sovereign God is and the fact that he knows everything. So does he know who's going to accept him and reject him? Yes, he does. But he put, put words in Scripture at least three or four times in the, New, in the New Testament that says, whosoever. You know who's, whosoever means? Whosoever. Anyone is welcome to come. And God intends for his divine plan is that we all pray to receive him, but he knows in his sovereignty who, who will and who won't. But what has been predestined and predetermined is not who, who is offered and who isn't, but the plan put in place to offer redemption to man. See that, get that. Um, that so, so then whether, whether it's the Jews or whether it's, it's all believers, the elect and the chosen ones are uh, of your own interpretation. So whose idea was this? Well, he, he brings in the Trinity here in, in verse 2 to say it was, it was, it was the, the idea of, of the Father, the purpose of the Father, it was the provision made by the Son, and it's the pursuit of the Holy Spirit. God designed this. The provision was made through the, through, through the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross, and the Spirit pursues us with the truth of those two things. So these plans that he has for us, as he talks about here, uh, what, what are these plans? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know, behold the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you what? Hope and a future. A future filled with hope. In essence, is what he's saying in Jeremiah 29, 11. So here's this idea of, of th th this, this, that there can't be prosperity apart from th his plan, that there can be hope apart from him, that there's no future apart from him. And we aren't foreigners and strangers here because our address is unique. We're foreigners and strangers here because our destiny and destination have changed. You see, when I prayed to receive Christ as a nine-year-old boy in 1968, my destiny and destination changed. I became, at that, in that instant, a foreigner here. I became here, I became a stranger here because my, 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 my inheritance that we're going to look at in just a moment is laid up for me in a place called heaven. And because of, the, because of my uh, spiritual identity changed in that moment, my, my destiny and destination changes, and I should, I didn't much then because I didn't know much, but I should have in that moment began to feel like a stranger and a foreigner here that my, my, my home was someplace else. There is hope in the plans of God. Secondly, not only is there hope in the plans of God, but there is hope in the provision of God. Look at 3 to, three to 5 with me again. Praise be to the God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, watch this, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into, watch, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There's so much theology in these three verses that, that it's, we don't have time to get into today. But I want you to see the richness of it and, and how, much is, how much is provisional for us. He says that this inheritance here is permanent. It is also personal. It's permanent in the sense that it can never, never uh, perish, spoil, or fade. It's personal in the sense that it's kept in heaven, he says, for you. Your, your inheritance is, is yours in heaven. As I said, as I prayed to receive Christ as a nine-year-old boy in 1968, my inheritance was immediately and eternally sealed in that moment. It, yours is as well whenever you prayed to receive Christ. And I'm glad, I hope you are, that God doesn't deal with us all in the same way, and our, our inheritance may look... May, different from one to one. So because we are unique, 
God deals with us uniquely. He knows my, he knows my weakness. He knows my vulnerability. He knows, uh, quite honestly and transparently before you today, that, that I seldom ever think I'm wrong about anything. And he knows that. And he humbles me from time to time. Because of my arrogance. I don't like it, but he does. <laughs> um, he, he knows you. He knows whether it takes money to get your attention. He knows whether it takes family issues to get your attention. He knows whether it's a job issue. He knows you. He knows what it takes to get your attention and to draw your focus off of that, whatever that is, and get it back to him. He knows exactly how to do that because he's wired us. He, he knows us uniquely, and we are his, and he knows us, uh, every, every sinew of our spirit. This inheritance, he says, that, that is that so costly for him is free to us. Uh, we should not take that lightly. We should not take our, this inheritance that he's talking about in verses 3 to 5. In essence, that we are due it or we deserve it or we're entitled to it because it cost him his very life. Uh, and we should hold it sacred because that's true. That's why it's such a powerful promise that should give us such great hope is that there's an inheritance waiting on you. Don't look to find an inheritance here. Now, I hope you have retirement and 401K, and I hope you're, you're secure in all of that stuff. Don't, don't go sell that next week and buy. Well, don't take financial advice from your pastor. But see, see, see the value of this inheritance over that. See the value of what is waiting on you there rather than what you're retiring to here. See the value in spiritual things over carnal things. See the value in, in that home over this home or your home. Uh, because without hope, we lose sight of the fact that, that God suffered for us, Jesus suffered for us on the cross, and he speaks to this in verse 6 of our having a refined faith because of that suffering, that his, that his cost of suffering refines and deepens and strengthens our faith. We shouldn't lose, lose sight of the hope of that. Provisional. God, there's hope in the plans of God and the provision of God. Thirdly, you now, there is hope in the proof of God. Look at verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving, watch this, the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a great definition of faith that he describes here in verses 8 and 9. Um, Hebrews 11, 1 describes it this way. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things we cannot see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 puts it, puts it this way. We live by faith, not by sight. Live based on what is, we know is true, not on based on what we can see and hold in our hands. Uh, so what, what proves this? It's not our knowledge of God, but is rather our relationship with him is what he's speaking to in this passage. Uh, so what's the goal of faith? Is it religion? Is it a greater understanding? Is it more Christ-likeness? All, all those are good and noble things, but he said the goal of your faith is the salvation of your souls. The, the greatest evidence and goal that your, that your faith matters is that your salvation is real and evident and obvious, not just to you, but to those around you. So salvation in, in terms of what we are being saved from, eternal hell, and what we're, we're being saved to, an inheritance that is with him in glory. Uh, this, this salvation is... is uh, is deep and real, and we need to see the value of what we have been saved from and what we were being saved to. I encourage you sometime to read the systematic annihilation. 
in Revelation chapter 6 through 9. And you, you'll learn to appreciate your salvation when you see that, when you read that, that, that those truths, because you, you're going to see things, things start to unfold out of, out of those three chapters of, of Scripture that cause you to go, whew, <laughs> grateful that's not me, uh, and I am too. And I encourage you to, 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 to read that. He's, uh, he says here that this, this salvation brings to us an inexpressible joy that he mentions in verse 8, an inexpressible joy that we, we can't even describe, and it should be that way. Salvation should be of such great value to you that you have trouble putting words to it. You have trouble helping people understand it because it's, it's, he has saved you so deeply and so permanently that it, that it, it even is, is hard to describe in words. Quick question in regards to your faith is, what does it cost you? I wonder if your faith has cost you much of anything. Um, about three or four years ago, I was sharing with a Nicaraguan family in their living room of their home in Nicaragua uh, with three generations of folks uh, steeped in Catholicism, but none with relation, none of them having a relationship with Jesus. And so the, the, there, there's a grandfather and mother, their, uh, their daughter, and a son, another son and daughter of this daughter. Three generations in this home. And as I, began, it, I it didn't take me but a, a, a visit or two in Nicaragua to see how they revere older people. And so I realized that every home I went into, if there was a, somebody with some white hair, that's who I was going to focus my attention on first, realizing that if the rest of the family had their blessing, that probably this entire family is coming to Christ. But without their, the blessing of this older person, uh, that probably wouldn't be the case. Well, as was the case here, I started to drive through the, the opening that I felt like was there with this older gentleman. And I could just tell, just, just in his, his spirit, just first thing, he wouldn't make eye contact with me. And I could just tell in his spirit that this wasn't happening today, but I could see and sense in, 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 on the faces of those rest, rest of those in the room, the daughter, and especially her, her, her kids, they were wide open to the gospel. As I began to explain the gospel and lay it out before them, their eyes got bigger, their jaws started dropping. Nobody ever told them this, this story of, of Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus for their sins and the eternal life offered to them through the shed blood of Christ. And nobody ever told them this story. And so I'm seeing, the, I'm seeing their, their amazement in this story and their a receptiveness to, to, to the gospel. And so I go from him who closes me down, shuts me down pretty quick. And I, I, I stop by saying, can I pray for you? No. This is through an interpreter. Can I pray for you? No. He don't want prayer. I said, I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I'm going to pray for you right now. And, so, and, and we did. I prayed that God would soften his heart and make him receptive to the gospel. A very short prayer. Then I turned to his daughter, spend probably two, two to three minutes with her, and I see her looking out of the corner of her eye to her dad. This whole, the whole time I'm talking to her to see is because is, she realizes what's coming if she prays to receive Jesus. I think she gets the, the brevity of that moment. She, she turns me down. I turn to her son. Long story short, her son is ready to pray to receive Jesus, and I tell him before he does that, I said, before we pray, I want you to understand that there's a cost to what you're about to do. If I, unless I'm misinterpreting what's, what I'm reading in this room, your grandfather is not, you're no, you're no longer going to be welcome in your grandfather's home if you pray to receive Christ. Am I right about that, granddad? And I look at the granddad, ask him the question. And so I want this young 
I want this young man to see the cost of his faith. And he takes it anyway. Praise receive Jesus. Gets up and go over. Lays his hand on his granddad's shoulder. As a brand new Christian, praise <laughs> Praise for his granddad's salvation. There have been several moments in my life where I just go, that was one of them. That was one of those moments where this young man knew the cost and he was going to have to leave and go live with a friend because they prayed to see Jesus. Shame on us in America. Shame on us for taking our salvation so lightly. I wish there were greater cause for us, and there will be. There's greater cause for each generation that's coming behind me. John and I were talking this past week of uh, uh, the, the, the world my grandkids are growing up in. Uh, and they're going to need somebody. Hannah and Philip, Kenzie and Cody, we're going to need to open up the back of their spines and pour concrete down for them to stand and stand for truth and stand for what's, what, what's right. Uh, anyway, th th there's hope in the plans of God, in the provision of God, and in the proof of our faith, the proof of God. Finally, I want us to see that there's hope in the promise of God, verses 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of these things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. The promise of God, in essence, the promise of God in the gospel of God through the prophets of God is what he's describing here in verses 10 to 12. Now, as I've shared with you before, prophecy in the Old Testament and prophecy in the New Testament, the same word, it tra translates in English is the same word, but two different words. Hebrew, the Hebrew word for prophecy and the, and the Greek word for prophecy in the New Testament mean two different things. In, in the Old Testament, prophecy is foretelling, in essence, telling the future. The New Testament term prophecy is forthtelling, or in essence, truth-telling. Uh, seeing the truth in the situation and speaking truth, that's it. I have a, that's why I think I'm right all the time. I have one of my spiritual gifts is, is a prophecy, and, and it comes back to, to bite me sometimes. Um, but that, that sense of truth-telling in the New Testament is foretelling in, or, or uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament. So what he's saying here is these Old Testament prophets didn't even realize their, their prophetic word. What they were preaching was salvation for you and I, not salvation for them. He said they didn't even get that, but they were yet obedient to God to, to, to be faithful to, to prophesy what was to come rather than what was the situation they were living in in that day. So uh, the prophecies weren't, uh, prop, the prophets weren't preaching salvation for them, rather for us. Now, 
What I want to ask you to do in light of that is to recount the circumstances of, of how and when you came to Christ. To recount those circumstances in terms of uh, who led you to Christ, who prayed for you to come to Christ, what was, who, who invited you to that, to that retreat or to that revival service or to that church or to that Young Life meeting or to that... Who invited you to go? I wonder who prayed for you before you went. I wonder who, who, who invested in your salvation from the standpoint of... Now, your, your, your mind's eye is going to draw to that pastor or that friend or whoever prayed with you to receive Christ. But in all likelihood, there are probably at least a half a dozen people along the way that God put in place to, to orchestrate your situation where you, the circumstances by which you came to Christ. And, so, and that's probably true of, of most all of us. Um, I, was, I was led to Christ at a revival service, as I said, in, in, as a nine-year-old boy in, under a tent in 1968. And um, my, my, my mom came forward to pray with me there in the altar uh, of that tent revival in, in, on that floor of hay, uh, covered grass. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Guy, baptized me, but my mom had, had been praying for me, as had my grandmother been praying for me. And so there are folks that have, have invested in your salvation. I'm already praying for my grandson's salvation. There are folks that have invested in your salvation that... that Heaven will reveal one of these days that you, you may never know sometimes. And God has worked those circumstances out. What I want you to see is this, the same detail that went into your birth went into your new birth. The, the, the same amount of circumstantial detail that God worked out for you to be born. And, and I, just, I was thinking this past week of Leanne and I uh, met each other in high school in, 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 music, in a music class. And got to know each other a little better in a class that I never belonged. It should have, shouldn't have, like one of those situations. I walked into this class, realized, what am I doing here? I was in a music theory class, and she was, she was acing every test, and I was sitting next to her to cheat off of her as best, I, <laughs> as best I could because I knew nothing about music theory. The only reason I was in that class is because she was in it. I, I took the class just to get to know her. But God brings us together, and uh, as a I was talking just a moment ago about uh, about uh, Cole and about Henry. Uh, they are the byproduct of what God, the circumstances God worked out for the two of us to get together. We have two daughters. They marry two son-in-laws. Those son-in-laws have sons. And we have incredible grandsons today because of the circumstances God worked out. And we, we, we didn't, didn't know each other before high school. But, uh, and, and, you know, there was, there were some situations that were adverse for us in our, in our coming to know each other as well. But... All that to say, God orchestrated every bit of that before the creation of the world. Every bit of that. Now, because that's true, I want you to see the circumstances God put in place for your new birth, just as he did your birth. And, and if, he, if he cares that deeply about you, that ought to stir in you such a spirit of hope to say, man, what can I do? What more can I do? How much, how much more can I do to bring this world the hope that God has brought to me? Uh, it's... If this don't blow your mind, you're, there's, you're, 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 it, I think Moody used to say your wit, is, your wick is wet. If your fire won't light by that, but it's mind blowing kind of stuff to realize how God orchestrates generation, generationally orchestrates these kind of things to bring these circumstances about for birth and new birth. Now, because that's the case. Uh, he says here, even angels long to look into these things. Even, even the angels that are in the very presence of God, they long to understand these things. 
he says here. And they don't get it either. So if you don't get it, if it's hard for you to grasp, join the club, he said, because angels are, are with in the presence of God, and they don't get all these things sometimes either. But he's saying that, that that's the value of your salvation, that God has worked all of that out for you to come to know him. We need to value that salvation. It ought to give us great hope. We ought to see that our salvation is both present and permanent. It's present in the sense of what you're being saved for here, to share your story again and again and again over and over with other folks. And it's permanent in the sense that it can never perish, spoil, or fade, this this passage says. It's kept in heaven for you in the sense that God has saved saved you to that place. Here, today, yes, but to be be with him in that place. Um, So what grows out of these things? What grows out of the fact that God has plans for us, that he's he's made provision for us, that he's proven himself for us, that he promised? What what grows out of these things? Well, verse 3 says, speaks to it. It says, there's a living hope. There's a living hope, a hope living in you that grows out of your salvation. A hope that's life-giving, a hope that never dies, a hope that can never, can never as, he, as he says here, uh, perish, spoil, or flay, fade. Um, that's, that's what hope does. Uh, I shared with you in this week's E-News a story that happened a little over 30 years ago about how inadequate I felt trying to give this young mother some hope when her, when her baby lay in an incubator there in a NICU unit children's grasping for life and death and how helpless I felt but I knew a little bit about hope even though I I, as a young person in the ministry I had not experienced a lot about it Um, I knew a little bit about hope because of the home that I grew up in and this is what Paul Harvey would call the rest of the story as a 10 or 11 year old boy I remember uh, walking into my living room during during a heck of a storm thunder and lightning everywhere I remember walking into our kitchen, uh, what did I say, living room, into our kitchen. My mom is looking out the kitchen window, looking out the kitchen window during this storm at an oak tree that's in my next-door neighbor's backyard that has instantly been struck by lightning and is falling toward our house. She sees this occur, and she cries out, Lord, help us. (laughs) And... A little more emphatic than I just said it then, but because she, 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 uh, she wasn't panicked, I didn't sense panic, but she just cry, was crying out to the Lord, "Lord, help us!" Because that tree was falling directly toward her in the back corner of our house as she was looking out this window. A sovereign God. This is how I learned about her, where her hope was was placed. She was calling, calling out to God because He was her hope. A sovereign God made a seventy-foot tree fall toward a house that was seventy-five feet away. Because as she's standing there looking at this thing, and she's coming down on the corner of our house, the tree falls, hits our power lines, knocks our power lines down, knocks our power out, but falls about five feet short of our house. You know the lesson I learned today? In whom to place my hope. Now, it was cool because I got to go out and play in the tree that was down in the backyard. But beyond beyond the cool fun factor... I gleaned a great lesson from that that day. Uh, so, to wrap up, let me let me make a couple of points, and we'll, we'll, we'll be done. The question is this: If the body of Christ looks like you, does it look like hope, or does it look like despair? If it looks like you, if you're the if you're the greatest evidence of the body of Christ. 
Does it look like hope or does it look like despair? Does it look like faithfulness or does it look like frustration? What does it look like according to you, according to what people see in you? Because, and why is that so important? Because it's time we stop telling the world what they're not and start showing them what he is. Hear that. It's time we stop telling the world what they aren't and start showing them who he is in me and in you. Uh, Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Christ in you, in you, in you, is the hope of glory. Is he being let out? Is he being told, is he being talked about? Is he being revealed? I, I saw it revealed in my mom's faith as that tree was falling toward her. Have you seen those kinds of things too in the lives of others around you? And can they see those things in your life? Can they see that kind of hope in your life? Where's your hope placed? What's it in? Who's it in? Let's pray. Father, reveal yourself to us today in ways that are clear and concise and help us to see the value that you have on our salvation and what it costs your son Jesus. Because of that, we not only can, but are called to and should live with great, great hope. In a world that is growing more hopeless by almost the minute, we can live and can and should live and walk with great, great hope. You, you have given us the hope that we have because of the blood of Christ at the cross, because of the plans of the Father before creation and the work of the Spirit in us to, to help us to see it, uh, feed on it, and walk in it. Now, as we ask your help today with those things, would you give us opportunities tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, to tell of the hope that lies within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us to, to value great hope because we're in a world that seems foreign to us, yet you aren't through with us here or you would have taken us already through yourself. So this story of hope needs to be told again and again and again that in a hopeless world, there is hope found in Jesus. Help us to breathe that story tomorrow and again and again in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.